Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Word of God for our study this Sunday is our first lesson, Numbers 11, verses 16 and 24 to 29. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, there's an old joke about a man at a large gathering who approaches a very attractive young woman and says, Excuse me, but could you please help me find my wife? We got separated somehow, and I I can't seem to locate her. And the woman replies, I'm sorry, but I don't know you, and I don't know your wife or even what she looks like. How could I possibly help you find her? He says, oh, don't worry, you, you don't actually have to do anything. After 30 years of marriage, I've discovered that all I have to do is talk to a beautiful woman and my wife shows up in no time. Jealousy is a very powerful force. And when we see it at work around us, it is very rarely something healthy or positive. Maybe it's the ever-suspicious wife who views every interaction her husband has with another woman as evidence of infidelity or at least potential man-stealing seduction. Perhaps it's the co-worker who won't let anyone near his project because it's his baby and he refuses to share any credit. Maybe it's the parents yelling at the soccer coach because eight-year-old Johnny or Susie isn't getting as much playing time as the Smith kid is. Perhaps it's people who have power willing to do whatever it takes to keep others from taking that power. And maybe it's even the people of Church A tearing down the people of New Church B down the street for no reason other than that they see Church B growing by leaps and bounds and their church, which has been there forever, isn't. And such jealousy can lead to other, starker, more active sins Insults and assaults, unrestrained anger, even murder. In some ways, though, it's, it's at its most dangerous when it's, when it's never brought out into the open and, and merely festers in the heart and poisons the mind, changing attitudes, eroding trust, and destroying relationships. But members of God's family, I mean, we would never have problems with jealousy, right? If one of us gets jealous, it must always be a a, a good and proper jealousy, right? Well, our experience sadly demonstrates that the wrong kind of jealousy certainly does show up in our lives. Sometimes even for what seems right reasons. And our reading today from Numbers 11 reveals that the problem is neither new nor unique to us. Our text places us with the Israelites in the wilderness again, after they had left Mount Sinai, but before they had approached the promised land of Canaan for the first time. This actually takes place before the events of last week's sermon text. The people have become a problem again. Many among them have decided that being fed miraculously by manna from heaven just isn't good enough anymore. They crave meat. 
They even ridiculously claimed that their lives had been better back under slavery in Egypt. The Lord hears their grumbling and is justifiably angry at their ingratitude and unbelief. Moses, of course, hears their grumbling too. And because he is Israel's leader and God's representative, all their complaints and conflicts get focused on him. So when Moses cries out to the Lord, Why have you brought trouble on your servant? Why have I not found favor in your eyes that the burdens of all these people have been placed on me? And then he says, I am not able to carry out all, to carry all these people along alone. They are too heavy for me. Well, when he says that, God hears his prayer and provides an answer. He will deal decisively with the people's ingratitude and teach them a harsh lesson about complaining about miracles. But in the meantime, he makes a plan to lighten the load that Moses carries. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather seventy men from the elders of Israel for me, men whom you know to be elders and officers for the people. Take them to the tent of meeting and make them stand there with you. You see, there were already men among the twelve tribes who were recognized as, as leaders, probably some because of their wisdom and ability and, and others simply because of their, their family positions. With everything that had happened in, in order to leave Egypt and everything that had happened since, Moses would have known who these men were. So Moses went out, told the people God's words. He gathered 70 men from the elders of the people and had them stand all around the tent. Now, Moses didn't know exactly what God had in mind, but he didn't ask questions. He trusted the Lord and did as he was told. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. He took from the spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do it again. Now, don't think of the spirit on Moses being diminished in any way by God's taking it from from it and, and, and giving it to the 70. Think of it instead as, as like many candles being lit from one single candle, just as we do here for our Christmas Eve candlelight uh, service. The light, the Spirit, is multiplied, not divided. And the prophesying here was, was likely some form of ecstatic speech, perhaps like what we see in, in 1 Corinthians 14 in the New Testament. But we are told it only happened the one time here because it only had one purpose, to establish that these 70 men had been chosen by the Lord and equipped for their callings by the Holy Spirit. Their authority would not be above that of Moses but it was of the same kind as his. So the people would have no reason not to acknowledge that authority or submit to it. But for some reason, things had not gone precisely according to the plan. Two men, however, remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other was Medad. They were listed among the elders, but they had not gone out to the tent. 
the Spirit rested on them, and they prophesied back in the camp. A young man ran and reported this to Moses. He said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Why those two didn't join the other 68 at the tent of meeting? We are not told, and so it really isn't important to us. Although God obviously intended to use the situation to teach another lesson, a a lesson very similar to what Jesus had to teach his disciples in today's gospel. But this report about Eldad and Medad was not going to be ignored. Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide from his youth, answered, My Lord, Moses, stop them! Well, of course! These two men, for whatever reason, had not submitted to the same things the others had, so nothing they were doing, or rather, nothing God was doing in and through them, could be legitimate. It had to be stopped. It was just too independent. It had to be stopped because it was too unchecked, too uncontrolled, too subversive. In Joshua's eyes, this was the exact opposite of what Moses needed in order to maintain his authority and his influence over the people. And he failed to see God's hand in it, even though Eldad and Medad were were prophesying, showing the Lord's approving and equipping them, just as the other 68 had done at the tent. So Moses spoke and not only showed his humble attitude toward power and position, taught young Joshua an important lesson. Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? If only all of the Lord's people were prophets, so that the Lord would put his Spirit on them. Eldad and Medad, along with all the people of Israel, were the family of God. And what Joshua was doing was resenting the gifts his brothers had been given because he felt that they somehow diminished Moses. But Moses didn't care, and he didn't care for all the right reasons. Moses was not the leader of Israel because he had sought the position, but because the Lord had called him to it. So if God chose to change the terms or the means of that leadership, that was more than fine with Moses, especially since, in this case, the whole point was to make leading easier by distributing some of the responsibility to to capable men among the twelve tribes. But more important here than his humility was the lesson in jealousy that Moses taught. His point with his aid was that Joshua was showing the wrong kind of jealousy. The true servant of God desires God's glory above all else. He is jealous for the Lord's reputation and priorities, which means he celebrates the gifts and service of his brothers and sisters and rejoices when God blesses them. Godly jealousy leads to sibling revelry, not resentment. But that's not always easy. Some of you may recall that in last week's sermon, I I made the point that sins of anger, pride, 
jealousy and ambition. All have one thing in common. All are corruptions of things that are good and proper, things that God created in us before the fall. Jealousy, like ambition, was designed for us as a good thing that would lead us to protect what should be protected and hold on to what has true value. But when Satan came along and we were all poisoned and stained by sin, jealousy got twisted and and turned in on itself. Instead of being all about seeking the good of, of the other, it became all about selfishly seeking to hold on to what is your own or what you think is your own. And we all, if we take a close look in the mirror of God's law, we'll see exactly such petty, sinful jealousies within ourselves. The husband who rages when his wife talks to another man is not protecting her, but is feeling threatened that that what is his might be taken away. The mother who is willing to tear down another's child when her daughter doesn't get the part in the school play is not looking out for her girl, but is worried about how her daughter's success reflects on her own reputation and self-image. The employee who refuses to work with another is, is not thinking of what's best for the company, but making sure no one else takes the credit, perhaps the raise or promotion, that he's convinced he is due. This is all sin even or perhaps especially when we are convinced that we have the best of reasons to be feeling and acting as we do. Such jealousy does not trust God to look out for us because it comes from the idea that it's all up to us to hold on to the blessings He has given us. And and lack of trust is unbelief and sin. And jealousy that is centered on maintaining our own glory, or maybe even the glory of of someone we care about, as was the case with Joshua and Moses, well, that is taking away from the glory that God is due. And that, too, is sin. Let us repent of all our petty jealousies. And let us instead turn to one who is always eager and willing to forgive those jealousies because He was concerned only with our good and with gaining us the glories of heaven. Jesus. What He taught His disciples, what He showed with His life and death and resurrection, what Moses demonstrated with Joshua is what it is all about. It's all about God's grace for sinners which is for our good, everyone's good, and for His glory, not ours. Jesus suffered and died on the cross because God loved us even though we deserved only His wrath and punishment. We deserved death and damnation to hell. And with His crucifixion, Christ paid the price for all the world's sins and and removed God's anger against us. 
And with His resurrection from the dead, He provided the guarantee of eternal life like His, with Him, in His heaven, for all who put their trust in Him. That is grace. That is the Gospel. That is what it's all about. That's what's important. And that is what godly jealousy holds on to and seeks to protect. You see God's grace in His gift to you of a wife. And while you trust Him and trust her, you know that you have a responsibility too to actively hold on to her with love and care. You see God's grace in His gift to the church of His wonderful Word, the Bible, which gives us the message of salvation and everything that we need for our lives. And so you are jealous for its purity, jealous for its truth, jealous for keeping it whole. You see God's grace in the lives and works of your brothers and sisters in Christ, the fellow members of God's family. And so you want to lift them up and do what you can to keep all of that grace going for them. That is the particular particular lesson that Moses wanted Joshua to learn. If only, if only all of the Lord's people were prophets so that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. Christ's disciples had to learn it too. I can half imagine Jesus after they, they so proudly told him that they tried to stop a man they didn't know who was driving out demons in Christ's name, saying to them, I can imagine Jesus saying something to them like, so what exactly is it that you think we should do at this point? Should we go back to all of those people this guy has cast demons out of and say, sorry, you'll have to take those demons back. This exorcist wasn't properly licensed by us. No. They should have rejoiced to see what this previously unknown brother in the faith was doing with the grace and the power of the Lord. And so when we, as Christians, see other Christians having successes that we crave, gaining converts that we wish that we had, having success with their witnessing, being blessed with their music programs, their children's programs, doing the things that we want to be doing or carrying out the ideas we thought we had first. Our first impulse should not be Joshua's or the twelve disciples. That's not right! They shouldn't be doing that! But rather, rejoicing. Rejoicing with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Rejoicing that God has seen fit to equip and use our brothers and sisters in Christ just as He sees fit to equip and use us. Because we know We know what it is all about. It's not about our glory or gratification, but about God's glory and grace. We revel in our siblings' gifts. 
and service because they have the same Spirit whom God has placed on us. They speak the same message of the Gospel that we speak. It's all about the forgiveness that God has to give to us. Forgiveness even for our petty jealousies. It's all about what Jesus did for us with His suffering and death and resurrection. It's all about the grace that God wants to shower on us and that we are now privileged to share with others, to share in our service, and to share in our witnessing. It's not for our glory, although we do get the glory at the end. It's about God's glory. And it's about God's grace for us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Please rise. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and in His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and establish you in every good work and word. Amen.